Welcome back, everyone, to the Cancel for Maintenance podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we are a show that takes a behind-the-scenes look into the gritty, non-glamorous life of aviation maintenance. We share some laughs, impart some wisdom, all in hopes of giving you that split-second relief in your day that can help prevent a mishap. I am your co-host, Six. I'm MVP. And our third host, Shoreline, is silently in the back, monitoring our audio, making sure our faces stay fit for radio. <laughs> So this was a a pretty hot topic all last week. And let's face it, it's a hot topic all the time. And then what also sparked this was I've been seeing a lot of posts from non-aviation people and various other groups like Facebook and stuff about mechanics and engineers supposedly duct taping aircraft parts together. I'm sure most of it was in good humor, but for the unversed, that could cause some unwanted alarm, right? So for today, I'm sorry, for most of us who are in the aviation industry, we know what it takes to maintain airworthiness. So today we want to discuss a little bit about that topic, like what keeps an aircraft flightworthy? What are some of the things that an aircraft must have? And what allows them to fly when certain things are not installed, inoperative, or missing? (laughs) For lack of a better word, missing. (laughs) You know, you mentioned duct tape, though. I want to touch on that real quick. Uh, I'd be I'd be a real big liar if I said I've never duct taped anything on an aircraft. Now all of you out there are going, oh, my God, MVP, what a hack job. It wasn't anything structural. It was like covering up surface coatings that were starting to peel off. And you're not going to take the jet down for two months to get that coating repaired uh, or a paint fix or whatever else. You're just going to wait till the next phase maintenance. So what do you do in the meantime to prevent the the surface layer from peeling anymore? Slap a little tape on it. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest sparks because there there was like a whole bunch of videos. And I think it turned into a meme of like uh, AMT or some kind of engineer straight up just duct taping the engine cowling inlet. (laughs) Right. I'm sure I'm sure it sparked a lot of like, oh, my God. And. If it was me and that was me being that mechanic or that engineer and people saw me, like I would induce their fear more by pretending they shouldn't have seen that. Like, oh, you weren't supposed to see that. Just kind of (laughs) like look up at the cabin windows and just go, oh, and just get off your ladder real quick and run away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, quick, what's that? Right. So for the most part, right, to quell people's fear about that, it's tape, yes. But it's not like duct tape your uncle would use to fix a a pipe. (laughs) You know, it's there for lack of better words, it's rated for aircraft use, meaning this thing is stronger. It responds better to pressure, uh, both altitude and speed pressure. And it's uh, also capable of withstanding the entirety of that aircraft's operation range. So it's not yeah. like it's not like the the duct tape you would see people tape on on jeeps or fix bumpers with it in like or the air quotes hundred mile an hour tape absolutely right. absolutely fucking not <laughs> in many instances it's aluminum tape yes it's got some weight to it I mean if you look at uh, anybody who's worked in a uh, test environment when you're putting your row of cells or your uh, oh my gosh what are those uh, vibration sensors called um oh accelerometers yeah accelerometer stuff oftentimes you know there there's either some type of adhesive that's glued it to the surface or it's an adhesive and tape holding it to the surface 
it's just that's just how it goes in the test world right and for and whenever we do use something like like speed tape is what we normally call it it might be called something different in certain areas but the only time we would use those is if it was a non-load-bearing surface and or in instances like every piece said where like it's just there to cover up sealant it's just there to kind of keep things from getting wet or enhance like some aerodynamics like there's a slight gap in the panel or paints kind of peeling off it's something to the lines where like it's okay if it's not there but it's it make people feel more at ease that it is there right or say yeah, for- you're holding something steady in place it's not load-bearing structural flight critical uh on a ferry flight you know right exactly and i've actually seen them use it on windows like they'll tape the yep where the sealant uh, fills the gap between the panel and the windows they'll take yep. that up and it's not to actually hold the window in place it's just so it keeps the sealant from getting wet or, or getting or in the midst of it curing it won't just splatter everywhere and just make a big fucking mess that's majority of the reasons and what governs us to be able to do that there's a couple of acronyms here i'm going to try to simplify it as as best i can the first uh, uh, one that allows us to do that is the master minimum equipment list or mmel and this is coming from the manufacturers with approval from your civil flight authority uh, faa easa wherever your civil authority is called in your region they get together they they came up with a list of components that Given a set of conditions, given a set of limitations, this is the minimum equipment that must work. And this is your limitations of what you can do with it. Uh, like, for example, like uh, a, a strobe light goes out. It's not technically down, but it just means that it can't fly certain conditions. Like it can't fly in cloudy. Um, like if it's cloudy outside or it can't fly at night or something like that. Yeah, and, then, and certain panels, right? Certain panels. Here, here's where you come with that tape, right? You've got a, a stripped out screw, and you don't have a replacement because you're out on the road somewhere. Uh, well, that panel, you get in the you get in the the book, and you see, oh, this panel, I'm allowed a total of three missing screws, and they can't be consecutive. Right. You know, so okay, I got this one in the corner that's uh, stripped out. Or whatever, and you know, okay, you got all the other fasteners in, and you're going to put a little piece of square over that hole where there's a missing fastener. Uh, why? Why would you do that instead of replace it? Like I said, again, it's on the road. It's 2 a.m. Uh, in the flyaway kit. There isn't uh, a, a replacement screw uh, for that particular panel. You don't happen to have any in the cover of your overalls. Uh, definitely with a certified parts tag still with it, and. Uh, and so you tape it up and send it on its way there. Your, your, your operator is not going to hold a uh, miss a revenue flight for one screw, especially when it's allowed. Now that's panel specific. Some panels are structural and yeah. in many of those cases, you're not allowed to have one. So one right. missing, it, it just depends on the aircraft kind of what, how it flies. You know, if you're doing mock mock two, <laughs> obviously you're going to have a little, stricter uh, guidelines and maybe a something that's fine at 75 knots right and that that kind of goes into what's called mel single m the minimum equipment list this is where majority of mechanics kind of get their knowledge base from usually the master 
um, minimum equipment list, the WMMEL, kind of says what's required for a series of aircraft. Like this aircraft type, this aircraft series has this, must have this minimums. And then you have the MEL, single M, and that's kind of operator specific. Like uh, the way this airlines operates in this area under these conditions with this many flights and so forth. So this says like specific to this operator or this airline or this aircraft type or this specific aircraft, it's allowed to have this kind of equipment in in operating or missing or whatnot. That's majority of what we say. And it kind of turns into like a verb almost between mechanics like, oh, does MEL it? What that means is like it's it's broken or damaged or or whatever else, but it's not to the point where it's gonna cause a flight to not happen. That's so we kind of use that as a verb saying, "Oh, does MEL it?" Just means that it's not bad; it's totally fine. And usually with MEL items, it has like a set time period where you have to fix it. In, depending on what it is, obviously. And that's kind of where you dive into your manuals for your aircraft specific to your operator or airline or region specific of like what's okay and how long is it okay for. So what we like tend to joke around a bit is we just kind of kick it down the road. <laughs> just MEL it for days, weeks, months, years. Well, oftentimes your your MEL list will actually have those guidelines in there. Right. It'll tell you how long. So like when I remember when I would MEL something, you would have to like for the one carrier I worked uh, with, I would have to call back to their maintenance control and say, uh, Hey, I got this. There's nothing in the flyaway kit. Uh, do you guys want to fix it? You want to MEL it? No, many times, many times. Let's just MEL it. Okay, great. And then they would tell me, all right, uh, you know, and I'd have the write up, but they would give me the date of which it was allowed to be MEL till. So some items, again, depending on what it was, you were, uh, if, if it was something more serious, it, uh, one flight only. Okay. That gives them time. Where's this jet going? Oh, it's flying from LAX to, uh, Houston. Okay. Well, I'm going to drop ship parts into Houston and the guys over there will catch it. When it lands there, they'll fix it. Or if it's something like a peanut bulb that would go behind one of your switches in your cockpit, uh, next major maintenance cycle. Two years from now, there was, I remember there were some items that were two and three years down the road, you know? Right. Because it just wasn't severe enough. Right. And exactly that. So, like, it's so contrary to public belief, they, it's not just something you just kick down the road and definitely there ha- there's a set time limit from when this happened to the time it has to get fixed, depending on what it is. Now, here's where it kind of gets a little dicey uh, is when for, from the MEL, you have another list and that's called the NEF or the non-essential equipment and furnishings. Usually this stuff is part of the MEL, but it's a little bit separate. And it's mostly for inter- interior stuff, like your passenger seat doesn't recline or your armrest is peeling or the throttle grips on the stick is fraying. Simple shit like that, right? It's, it's okay if it's missing. It's not ideal, but it's not going to be, it's not so essential to flight that this has to get fixed. Or so say like your 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 seat tray, if it doesn't lock or it doesn't uh, extend all the way, who the fuck cares? It's not going to ground the plane. <laughs> and, yeah, not 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 flight critical. Doesn't affect how the aircraft handles at all. Right, and again, like contrary to the MEL itself, the NEF is part of the MEL, but it's like its own separate list. Like 
how do I say like um, it outlines steps that operators may use to determine if a item can be deemed as non-essential. Like it's okay if it's not there. It's okay if it's broken. It's okay if it's operating at half capacity or some shit. Like the coffee maker in your plane. Sorry, bro. No coffee. <laughs> yeah. We, the tea kettle, the electric tea kettle is working now. How about that Nescafe instant coffee? You good for that? Uh, you know, even in some instances, like I know in some of the private jets, you, you can even MEL your uh, lavatory. Yeah. Uh, and it's because on some of the smaller jets, uh, you're not flying very far, you know, hour, <laughs> two hours, you know, hit, hit the head before you get on the plane. Um, <laughs> exactly. But for a lot of your major air airline uh, carriers, I believe, and, and, you know, Stig or whoever can correct me uh, if I'm wrong, but I think for all those, you have to have at least one lavatory working for that to uh, for that flight to occur, yeah, I, oh, I'm almost certain. Expect like if, if a certain number of people over a certain, uh, you know, hours of flying. I believe you have to have at least one working lab. Yep, I believe you're correct on that. I, I want to say you're right too, Stig or anyone else out there. Please correct us if we're wrong. And then, last but not least, at least for general aircraft stuff, you have what's called a configuration deviation list now aside from the MEL which says okay the this kind of sets the limit if something that's installed is not working and it kind of gives you a limit of what can happen for a configuration deviation list or CDL this is mostly stuff that's external to the aircraft and this is kind of and this kind of goes along the lines of stuff that fell off <laughs> or went missing like say you're flying along the lines and then one of the one of the panels on your wing just so happens to just yeet itself off the plane is that good or is that bad or um say you notice that some of the panels there there have gaps in it or they're kind of broken can they be removed to fly again we've it's happened quite a bit and most people they'll go like whoa stuff's missing there should be stuff there Yes, but if it's okay in the in the CDL or the configuration deviation list, it's totally fine. We can we can roll on. Now all of these lists can it's all governed by the manufacturers. It's governed by the operators who use the plane, and it's also governed by the and it's also approved by the Civil Aviation Authority in your region. So none of this just happens willy nilly. Like ah, it's fine. Like I can fly without a seatbelt today. Totally not the case. <laughs> Yeah, no. it, it's all driven from, well, you know, your federal, in the States here, your federal aviation regulations, Europe, IASA, uh, Canada, what was it, the Civil Air Authority? Yes. CAA, is that right? I believe that's um, right. You know, they, they, you know, the safety stuff, obviously, uh, kind of is driven from that. But structural, operational, that's all driven uh, by your engineering group. Uh, they, you know, the ones who design the air aircraft, they're the ones who... Uh, Hey, you can safely operate this aircraft missing all these items. And, and then again, at the end of the day though, um, you know, the pilot still holds the authority so they can, they can ultimately say, yeah, I know it's on the list, but I'm not comfortable with it and I'm not going to fly it. Now I've seen that before to where it's like, okay, let's, uh, get parts on order. The, 
jet will be down for another day or two, or I've seen them. All right. And they send another air crew, you know, they send another, another group of pilots and who will fly it. So I guess it just depends on, uh, the particular situation. You, you know, that just sparked, that just triggered a huge memory in my mind because uh, exactly this, like it's up to the pilot if they want to fly it or not. I used to have a string of pilots who would absolutely refuse to fly in a plane that had dirty windows. Like just flat out, like I am not getting in that plane. Like either clean those windows or get me another plane. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, man? <laughs> and yeah, some- we're flying through the Everglades. There's going to be some bugs. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, right. And uh and some in some uh aircraft, the windows are made out of a type of plastic that it's gonna scratch, it's gonna craze, it's gonna look like these ugly spider web things. But no matter how much you buff it, no matter how much you polish it, it's just not gonna come off because it's somehow internal, like in between the sandwich layers of these of this plastic um window. So I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, I'm not going to replace a window because you don't feel comfortable that the glass is dirty. But yeah, that's what you're like. Hey, Captain, sorry. I go talk to my chief. You, yeah. you two hash it out. Right. And I remember having those fights too. Like, it's totally fine. It's perfectly safe. It's not detrimental to life or loss of aircraft. Well, I just still don't feel like doing it. Well, okay, man. Like, it's your flight, not mine. So it, again, the pilots do have some power in this. Not to not not saying we're being disrespectful to pilots, but if you're uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable, man. At the same token, you know, like there's a difference between like uncomfortable because it feels unsafe and uncomfortable because it's not pristine. I'm sorry to say, you'll rarely find a aircraft that's 100% polished, if, unless like it just literally rolled off the assembly line and you're like you're logging the first 12 hours in that plane. Period. <laughs> How many aircraft I've seen roll off an assembly line with defects? <laughs> uh, just, just, just accept it. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, how, how many times have you and I seen that? Hey, here's a here's a brand new plane, and here is the list of known defects. Uh, what? Excuse me. It's <laughs> yeah. brand new. Why are there defects? Yeah, yeah. Right. You guys, uh, you know, we're, we, to fix all these things, we're not going to meet the delivery deadline. So, are you guys willing to accept these things, and then we'll fix them in the field? And uh, for those listening who don't know, that is a very very common thing that happens. Oh, yes. And um, back to backpedaling real quick, and I'll come back to the accepting part. So for the MEL stuff, that's mostly civilian. For military stuff, you might have heard it called something different, but it's essentially the same thing. Um, Air Force and Army guys, I'm pretty sure you, you guys call it MESL, like M-E-S-L, or Minimum yeah. Equipment Subsystem Measle. List. And then for yep. Navy, Navy, Marines, sometimes Coast Guard, you guys call it MESIM, um, uh, Minimum Equipment Subsystem Matrix. It's all the same shit, really. It's more or less like if things go, if things are inoperative or not installed, it, the plane can still fly under these limitations. Like can't fly at night, can't fly on cloudy day. It can only fly so high, so far, so long. We have X amount of weight, same shit, right? It's t- same thing. Now, going with the acceptance piece. Now, well, hold on real quick before we get into the acceptance. Okay. I, the last thought on this for me is, um, look, your MEL isn't your uh, be a dirt bag and avoid doing work that day. If you have the time and the ability and the parts, you should always fix, replace, repair, whatever. Uh, the MEL is there for 
you know, mission critical. Hey, we got uh, times of war, right? All right, well, we're missing this. All right, well, it's got to get back over target. So send it away. Uh, in the airlines, hey, every flight's revenue. Every time that thing's in the, every time that jet's on the ground, it's it's not making money. So let's turn and burn. Yes. Um, you know, corporate world, even more so. Uh, and, and, you know, in that realm, from my experience was, hey, we're in a remote airport. Again, it's two or three o'clock in the morning. There's no parts coming here by the, by the 8 a.m. Uh, revenue flight. So MEL it and move on. Right. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to hammer this in a bit. Actually, I'll hammer it now. When it comes to the MEL stuff, and MVP brought up a very valid point with mission critical and revenue critical. You'll find some individuals who will really try to push that deviation list to you. We see many a times like, well, just MEL it. It's totally fine. I am giving you full authority to MEL it. I'm like, that doesn't sound right, man. I'm just telling you right now. There's, there's going to be times you as a mechanic have to really push back on that. Like, no, that is 100% wrong. That's totally incorrect. This is not an MEL item or this should not be an MEL item or we have the time we can fix it now kind of thing. And the only way normally if an aircraft is not complying to an MEL or MESIM or whatever your entity calls it, if it's not compliant, it's not going to fly unless there's like some kind of exception to rule by, by a civil air authority or some guy who has more stars on his collar than freaking than George Washington. <laughs> so, if yeah, but by the same token, I don't care if he's got four stars on the collar. Uh, let him sign the waiver. Yes. Or her, whoever it is, let them sign the waiver. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's, I said, I said, buy it off now. Sign here. You know? Right. You buy that plane. And so that kind of, that, that's a very good caveat to the acceptance piece. So, well, sorry. One more thing. It just jogged my memory. You will, and you jogged my memory when you said uh, people pushing the MEL on you. Okay. You will see in some operations that they want to MEL because it's saving a few dollars now. Oh, good one. Uh, yeah. It's saving some uh, maintenance hours and cost of parts. Uh, but, you know, as I've had uh, a mentor tell me in the past, you, you pay for it now or you pay for it later. What do you want to do? Yes. Right. That- so, so you don't repay place it now. Okay. You save a couple hours, dollars, whatever, you go make some money on a revenue flight. But, but at some point you're going to pay for it. So keep operating with this system uh, on the MEL list. Okay. But is that putting additional strain on another system? You know, Okay let's say it's a, a nav system, right? It's redundant. And you've got one system on the, on the MEL and you just keep pushing down there. Oh, we still got one working one. Well, what happens when that one, that one shits out, you know, mm-hmm. you, you get, you're going to have to get it fixed in timely. Cause you, you, you don't want to be running with one and then end up with none. Then you're dead in the water and you have to fix it. So again, it comes back to that. Do you want to fix it now, pay for it now or pay for it later? Right. And oftentimes, if you wait till later to pay for it, it's more expensive. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Oh, a thousand times. Yes. <laughs> and when it comes to the acceptance piece, this is this very, this very well caveats into it. When acceptance is not just brand new planes, like I am receiving this plane for the first time. This also can mean like it's a transfer from another area or region or whatnot. 
it, you still kind of have to play the same game as if it was brand new because it technically is. You've never seen this plane before. You've never worked on it before. So you want to have the full history of what went down. And as MVP has alluded to previously, like a lot of aircraft, even from the assembly line, come out with defects. And some of these aircraft, like these are defects that don't exist on the on an MEL or NEF or CDL or anything like that. But it's still okay to fly. Well, why is that? Right. And that kind of goes into like that exception to to rule as what we were talking about. There's may, maybe different calls to this, but what it what it boils down to is there's a request for variance that was approved by either the civil authority or the customer and the people who transferred that plane to you. Right. So you got to review all this stuff to make sure that A, it's been resolved <laughs> for one or or B, that like it's it's bad, but it's not so bad where it can't at least push a couple of flights before you can fix it. And we've yeah, seen in many cases, you'll see these defects or defects in the paint, surface coating markups. Um, what was one? Oh, uh, what was one I saw recently? It was a, it was one of the flight control uh, actuators, mm-hmm. but it was a redundant system. So, Yes, it could still fly on an MEL, but it was also a new bird trying to be sold off. So you have to have that agreement between uh, manufacturer, the OEM, and that customer buying the asset saying, hey, look, it's ready. It can fly. But this one, one of the three redundant systems is faulty. And, uh, in order to process this paperwork and sell off this aircraft, you know, are you willing to accept it? And then once it's sold off, uh, you know, we'll come and fix it or whatever. Oftentimes that happens, but it, it's still an agreement. Right. Or we've seen some petty ones too. Like uh, we had to use substitute washers that weren't part of our originally approved supplier list or, uh, yeah. or uh, this cable had to be routed a certain way because someone cut into the airframe the wrong way or drilled the hole in the wrong place or something like that. Some real petty stuff. Yeah, but, or zip ties instead of string tie. Yeah, yes. we ran out of string ties, so all we have is zip ties. Yes. So we're holding this cable <laughs> harnesses together with zip ties, you know. But again, that wasn't on the original drawings, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That uh, that what it wasn't the original drawings that the, the customer bought off on. Right. Even as petty as a zip tie in an area that the people flying it, flying that aircraft and the people riding inside of that aircraft would never see. But because it deviates from the original, it has to be addressed. Yes. And that's where things kind of get real into the weeds. And this is where like uh, your knowledge as an aircraft mechanic and or a quality assurance person really get tested. Because if you're just kind of going by the norms, like, okay, it's supposed to look like this. It's supposed to have this kind of setup. And then it doesn't, right? What governs you to say that that's okay, right? Yes, you can use some common knowledge. Okay, it's totally fine. It's not going to be a problem, but it can be, right? And that's where you kind of have to cover your ass with that whole request for variance. Was there one put in? Has it been identified? Do we know about it? Has it been approved by some kind of engineering or design authority? and or the civil aviation authority, whatever that is in your region. Because if it isn't, that's technically out of configuration and it's technically bad. Even if it's petty, like substitute washers or wires routed differently, or they use different size clamps for certain things, 
Uh, it, oh yeah, the P clamps. That's a big one. Yeah, it, it all matters. It, it all yeah, matters. That all matters. Right. As petty as that sounds, or as small and minute as, it, as that sounds, it matters. And being able to understand how that process works will aid you big time, especially when you're out in the field. Because there, I can guarantee you now, there's probably some planes that that are in a totally different configuration than what you're used to, and it may be very small. Like eh, it doesn't affect fit form or function, which is what a lot of people tend to use. It doesn't affect fit form or function, but maybe it does because it's technically not part of the original fit. It's not part of the original form. It's not part of the original function. As as small as it can be, it's technically out of configuration. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but once something bad happens, like because they use bigger P clamps or because they routed the wires different, it chatters about, it rattles places it shouldn't, it starts to chafe, it, start it starts to cause problems. And then next thing you know, the plane has to be grounded for XYZ reasons, either intentionally or forcefully. And then the first thing you're going to say is, okay, this went wrong. This, this is what happened. Where was y'all's request for variance to deviate from this? Uh, shit. <laughs> right. And it all just rolls downhill. So how many people touched this plane? How many people saw this happening? They, you start getting the 21 questions and some of the stuff you don't even know the answer to, but you're support, you're being questioned as if you know the answer. You're like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> and that's where it can really land you in some water, which again, like this is like over the top stuff. This is kind of like going into design authority and engineering approval, but it matters again, because if you see it on the line, which I'm positive you will at some point, if this, if these are not covered by some kind of exception or waiver or deviation apart from your normal um, minimum equipment list, it's gonna fuck you, <laughs> and it's gonna. Yeah, it's, I mean, you had mentioned the wa washers, right? So, you know, you get a, a bag of washers and you're going to install something, and you notice the part number is different than what's on the drawing. The part number on the bag of washers is different than what. Uh, the drawing says you need to install, even though, you know, all dimensions of the washer match what the part numbers of what was called out on the drawing. But maybe that vendor is behind for whatever reason in manufacturing those washers. So the company, in order to keep time schedule, had to source a new supplier and they found this other one, but it comes with a different part number. You say, okay. It takes a little bit. You got to get engineering involved. Everybody comes around, takes measurements, gives a thumbs up, and then it has to modify drawings or a, a what you call it earlier six a uh, uh, a uh, waiver thing. But yeah, or a request for variance. Request for variance. Yeah, yeah. So yep. you know, and sometimes that happens, right? Uh, I've seen in areas where I I uh, work, you know, there might be only only really one vendor who makes a certain uh, product and, you know, COVID really wrecked everything. So, you know, behind and behind and behind and behind and waiting for shipments and orders. So just put everything on the back burner. So then you see some other vendors up and coming saying, Hey, we see, uh, we see a market for us to get into here. The, the only dogs in the uh, fight are uh, struggling right now. And uh, these these operators need to get their jets going. So then you get some, you know, supplier competition in there. But 
again, then there comes different part numbers. But I think that's also why it gets confusing. And this is kind of getting off on a tangent. But many of you have probably seen how many part numbers have you seen for certain parts? All right, there's the manufacturer's part, and then it gets into the then there's a a supplier or warehouse part number, but then there's the company slaps their uh you know a different part number on it for for the operation side. There's you know vendor supplier. There's like three or four sometimes part numbers for the same damn thing. Oh my god! I don't know why yes. we can't mesh them all up, but I, I just I guess it for the operation side. It, consolidates at all. I don't know. It's just, it's goofy. It gets confusing when you have to go research them. Oh, totally. I know exactly what you mean. I, I remember specifically looking at parts for an engine. I forget what exactly what it was, but it had exactly, you said four different, uh, data plates on this thing. And each part number was completely different, but it all (laughs) said the same company. I'm like, time the hell out. What is this? Right. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe like it's, some of the parts are internal, like they're parts of an assembly. And then you have the one overall that kind of snapshots the entire part. That's what I thought initially. So then we started running these numbers and like, it's all the same shit. Like, what the hell's going on here? Right. And exactly what MVP said, you have the vendor part number, you have the supplier part number, you have the company's part number. It, it's, I get it, you know, kind of like slapper sticker on top of another sticker or like how people cover up bumper stickers with a bigger one. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. My name was on the last. I'm the king, you know. Ha ha. Got you. Ha ha. Right. You, know, you remember like when you see people grabbing, uh, grabbing a stick and as the hand goes up, the hand ends at the top of the stick wins, you know? Yes, that's exactly that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly that. And uh, this actually came up from one of our listeners. They, act- they actually posed the question. Um, on Instagram and it shows exactly it's funny you brought up the washers because it was four washers and they look significantly different and the question was like can you tell if these four washers are in the right configuration when it's in, uh, and I'm assuming it's cut it's when it's installed on the aircraft and a bunch of people throw out some answers like well they look different so they must be different or well these ones are these two are the same part number. This one, these two are the, are another part number. And the person came by and say, all four of these washers are different. All four of these have different materials. All four of these are from different vendors and they have to go in a specific order. But the question is like, how can you tell if they're in the right order? And that's when shit gets real ham, especially when you're on the line. Like for the most part, you may not be able to tell or, or care to notice. But if something seems off, like time the fuck out, like this is not right. Or when you're taking things apart and you notice like certain things like are not the way it should be like, this ain't right. And this is, uh, and I've seen this, especially when it comes to uh, certain panels, like they, they have like this deviation that says it's okay to go up one washer or minus one washer. So it has the, the same, the right thickness uh, from the bulkhead to, or that it's sub flush or something like that. And usually that's from like the OEM side of the house. Like only they have that kind of spec. And so like you as a mechanic is like, wait, this thing's supposed to have four washers. Why is there only two? And your manual say nothing of the fact that washers can be uh, plus or minus. And so you guys are flipping your wig. Like, 
where the fuck are the other two? And you start having your nugget run around trying to find two washers that theoretically don't exist. <laughs> and then, yeah, or they were there before the people who worked on it before didn't put them back on for whatever reason. Yep. And then you just happen to be reading the manual and notice it said a stack up before. And, uh, have you ever, uh, have you guys ever seen, uh, maybe this is back in the day stuff where it actually explained to you how to cut a washer. Like, let's say you had a washer that was up against an angle brace or whatever, so you had to cut uh, a quarter of it off. And Ooh. it explains to you how to do that with, you know, dikes or a grinder or whatever else. You know, I have heard of that, but I have ne- I've yet to actually seen the method. I've heard some guys talk about it. Like, oh, yeah, just cut the washer. Like, excuse me? <laughs> what? <Right. laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa, time out. What are you doing, man? Or I, I've seen some, uh, going on a tangent here, I've seen some where it's like a sleeve, like a... Well, it's like a seal that looks like a sleeve and it says to remove it. You got to have to take a, like a cutting wheel and, and slightly, uh, cut an indent in and then just kind of hammer it out. I'm like, that sounds bad. I don't think that's something you should do, especially for a seal. You you put a stress line in it and then you grab it with a pair of duck bills or something and, and you work, uh, basically work it back and forth until it breaks off in a clean line or, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly that. Right. So like, but the way it was explained, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. But then again, you would have manuals that say just remove sleeve. Okay. <laughs> right. And I think we've had that conversation with a bunch of people, like some manuals, they're very vague on how they want things done. And I think that's kind of a good thing in certain ways. Like it kind of leaves it up to your knowledge and your situation of how it got, needs to get removed. But certain things like a sleeve where you have to cut a stress line, I think that might be just a little a little bit of a help you know or a little bit of a hint like hey you might want to cut a stress line or you might want to use this kind of tool to help you out instead well, of just I always say, thought if you had to cut a stress line why not just cut it the whole damn way through right exactly and, <laughs> and that's the, and that's and that's kind of like how i under uh, understood it right so like uh, again going on this tangent like we had to remove this this uh, seal sleeve and it says remove sleeve like well how the fuck do we do this so we tried to just kind of pry it out with uh kind of like a like a pin puller almost and wasn't going anywhere and we we got so frustrated with it we're just like okay so should i just get a a grinding wheel and cut this bitch you know but well yeah there's other ones where it's like on the inside of a a tube or a shaft or whatever and it's like a a brass bushing or or whatever and and it'll actually tell you get a get a dremel with uh some type of diamond bit on the end of it and it'll tell you to work a small stress line back and forth without cutting all the way through it because you don't want to damage the, the actual housing that that brass bushing rides in. Cause if you do that, then you're replacing that whole tube. Yep. But yeah, you're supposed to put a wear line in it and you get like a brass punch and then, and then you punch out that, that bushing and, and like it. And then with that wear line, it, it like collapses in on itself. So then you can pull it out. But oftentimes those bushings have an outer, some type of seal. And in one case, I remember it was like a Loctite 620, the green, 620 or 680, the green stuff. Oh, I'm blanking. Anyways, it's yep. like, it's like JB Weld. <laughs> and uh, it took a lot more beating with a brass punch than you would expect. <laughs> you just got to chisel it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another thing too I'd mention. Whenever a request for variance is sent out or, um, requested i okay i'm kind of 
cycling back on myself. But once when a request for variance is sent, it's usually coming with some kind of engineering uh, weigh in. Like this is what the extent of the damage is, or this is the extent of the condition. Here's our plan. Here's what the original intent of the design is for. And then here's our, our fix to bring it back into design intent as they would call it. Right. So I've, I've seen this a lot, especially when it comes to when engineering weighs their weighs in on, on these kind of dispositions, they'll say like it meets the intent of the design. I get it. <laughs> right. And when they do that, it's usually coming with some kind of instruction on how to fix it, depending on what it is, like scrap it, replace it, uh, repair it using these methods or use it as is like it's bad, but it's not so bad. And, and those are the kind of ones that get me kind of shady is when they say, just use it as is like, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but again, it's going to have some kind of instruction for you, the technician on how to fix it. And some of them, they're very specific. Like you got to come at it a certain way, or you have to use a certain tool or you have to use a certain method. And then some kind of engineer has to you review it after you've uh, done certain steps along the line and then it goes back to the engineering as to like it's on them whether it's good it fixes the problem or they have to deviate and find some other solution or something like that and uh, most of this stuff it doesn't happen as the flight is about to happen most times it's not if it has to come through some kind of engineering review it's probably grounded so but uh, as MVP alluded to earlier, it's better to have it grounded and have them invest that time when it matters, or they can just kind of kick it down the road and wait till later when it really becomes a problem. And then now you that plane's out of a fight because some stupid reason. And we've seen that happen pretty often, which is kind of sad. But yeah, now don't fall victim to the uh, request for variance um, as they're, you know, for some of the reasons we outlined, like they're, oh, okay, we have this washer and yeah, it doesn't really fit, but uh, we do have one. It's just slightly thicker, but you still have ample thread protrusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oftentimes, um, and, and maybe it depends on where you're at, but I think this is probably uh, an issue in most places of manufacturing. Uh, the request for variance is one of those where they come and say, Hey, we found the problem and we just want you to accept it. And you yes. go, well, okay, well, what's the fix? Oh yeah. We didn't, uh, we were just hoping you would accept this. So don't fall, don't fall victim or prey to that. You know, uh, make sure you do your research. If you're the one who has to sign for the, uh, variance exception. Yes. Cause oftentimes yeah. they'll try to pull the wool over your eyes. Like, Hey, we got a problem. You cool with it? And you're like, well, Depends on what it is and what are you guys going to do to fix it and when? Yes. Yeah, just, uh, yes, we'll definitely fix in the time of things specified at some point. Just go ahead and sign away. You know, that's a very good point. And I, we've seen some some organizations that would do that where they'll just automatically use the request for variance as an excuse. Like, eh, we fucked up, but you're buying it. So are you cool with it? And just like MEL, like there's a set time for things to get fixed for request for variances. There's like only so many that can happen before the design authority or the approving authority goes, okay, time the fuck out. Like this has happened way too often for this same exact problem. 
what the hell are you doing to keep this from happening again? Ah, well, you know, things are in work. You know, we're we're looking things over and stuff. At some point, you know, like uh, if there's so many of these requests for variances that are coming through or you see a laundry list of stuff that's like, you know, it's uh, repeating or reoccurring. That's probably that's probably a good indication that that's probably to get shut down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hey, well, we messed up. But before we invest our own time and money into fixing our mistake, would you are you cool with buying it off first? Hell no, I'm not. Ah, well, we tried. Damn it. Let's go back and fix, you know. <laughs> right. And then they'll always come back. Are you sure, though? Yeah. Yes, I'm sure. I'm not signing this off. Go fix it. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> man. Do you right. like ice cream? It was a, there's a popsicle in it for you. You know, it's like, go away and fix it. Right. It's like, hey, uh, uh, what do you think about the what do you think about the Super Bowl? You know, just start kind of like um, trying to soften the blow, like ch- pull the wool over your eyes, as, as MVP said. Like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. This has re- occurred and repeated too many times for it to just be a request for variance. Like usually where va- when variances happen, it's kind of like a one of like this is supposed to not happen again. It's kind of like we pull the noobs. We're our bad. We fucked up. Can we get a can yeah. we get a can we get a substitute and let's move on? But it, we misdrilled this hole. So there is one random hole in the side of the fuselage. Are you guys cool with it? No. Why? Why in God's name would I be cool with it? It's really not that big of an our engineers say it's it's cool. Oh, if, if they said that, then why wasn't that hole put there in the original design? If we're talking about putting lightning holes in it, let's uh let's just add some more of those while we're at it if it's cool. Why only in that one particular place that's about half an inch away from where it was supposed to be? Uh <laughs> lighter fire? Uh, that's an unfortunate <laughs> real situation, everybody. That's, right. that's very very real situations. Oh my God. Yes. Right. So again, like for, <laughs> for the average technician, just know that these exist. And the more you have an understanding of how the design is supposed to work and how these things deviate from the original intent of what the designs were helps you as a mechanic when it comes to time, when you spot these, because most things are MEL or CDL or whatever type of pre-approved list of fuck ups that's, or a pre-approved list of, uh, items that are inoperative or whatever, but if they're not there and before we, you go screaming and yelling to your nearest civil flight authority might want to double tap with the powers that be and say, Hey, was this, was there a waiver or an exception put in for this? Because if we just start firing off uh, at the FAA or whatever your flight authority is, they're just going to come down smashing everybody. They don't care. Like, Okay, we're going to destroy everybody but you because you reported it. Oh, no, you're all part of the mix. <laughs> so it, it it helps to understand what these are, what they mean, how they are fixed, uh, how they work, and then what this really means to you. Getting smart on these things will really help you out on the line, especially if you're trying to go into those upper echelon positions, like, say, quality assurance or maintenance manager or God, or say you want to be an engineer as well. Like these are the hard questions that get asked in the back office that some of us don't see when we're on the line. And most times we just kind of kick it down the road. Like, oh, well, I don't know what this is. So engineer up and move on to the next thing and just kind of twiddle your thumbs until they come up with a solution. And that's yeah, or, or, or come up with your own solution. Hey, I noticed this. Here's what I would do to fix it. Yeah. Or here's what I think should be done to fix it. Obviously, you're still going to be engineering buy off in some cases, but at least come 
with a solution. And and then in that, that's a learning experience. You can say, hey, that's exactly right. That's exactly how we're going to fix it. You might go, oh, man, I know more than I thought I did. Or they might go, yeah, that's a one way, but we can't do it that way, and here's why. And then now you've learned something new about Absolutely. the uh, airframe you're working. Absolutely. You know, that's a very good point because I've seen some individuals who would kick the can as hard as they could because engineering told them no, like, absolutely not. Like, this is not how we're going to do it. This is not the way we're going to move forward with the fix. And they're like, well, you are stupid, bro. You know, and just kind of pout around like an angry person or an angry child, you know? <laughs> so understanding of this as well will, like, will definitely help you out. And then maybe it can be like a good eye opener for you. Like, oh, hey, I'm good at this. Maybe I want to progress in this later down the road or become an IA or an engineer or something, right? That's a good door opener for you as well. So for our civilian friends, just know that the duct tape thing, it's not duct tape. It's totally fine. It's totally safe. We're approved to do that. And the only way we're not is if it's not part of a list of discrepancies that we're okay to move on with. And if it isn't, there are steps in place to say that's okay. So don't worry about it. <laughs> they, if there's anyone who's be more than happy to upset your day and ground your flight, it's the mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> that is factual. Yes. <laughs> like I do not want to be in this rain. I do not want to be in the summer sun. I want to go right back to my hole where it's air conditioned safe or it's shady. And I have my, my ice cold Gatorade waiting for me. I would much rather do that than stand for five hours waiting for your flight to get off the ground. <laughs> um, facts. Facts. That's a, that's a fun fact with, with us. <laughs> Any, anything further you would like to add to um, MEL or deviations at all, MVP? Just want to reiterate, don't, don't fall victim to the uh, request for variance uh, you know, as being a one-off thing and that they're not just trying to pawn off the stake. Uh, I suggest each and every one of you, uh, whatever your primary platform is you're working, get familiar with that MEL list uh, just for your own edification, but you know, also to uh, give you some firepower uh, when you're out there fixing these things. Absolutely. And then and actually point- you'll learn a lot of what systems, what systems and parts are, uh, you know, have, have redundancies to them or, or aren't, considered flight critical you might go really that's not flight critical huh interesting right. i would have never guessed right like in, <laughs> in one of the cessna uh jets and it might have been a 560 xls but up in the tail up in the vertical there's like these springs on cables and uh there's uh two or three of them and it's it's like to dampen the uh rudder movement back and forth Mm-hmm. And and one of the springs had collapsed, and I was like, "Oh my god, we got to fix this. We can't let this thing fly." And that was an ME level thing, huh? Who would have known, right? Who would have you known? Know, just because it's tied to a flight control or something you think is flight critical or is flight critical might not mean that particular part of it is. That's absolutely true. Uh, another one uh, that I remember, this is like helicopter specific, is the. The stability control system. Uh, when it's on, it's great. When it's off, it's pretty much like power steering for a helicopter. When it's on, it's great. When it's off, not so great. But if it's in up, it doesn't mean it's down. 
crazy, you would believe, right? Like, I would kind of want power steering for a helicopter, especially given the forces that happen upon it as it's flying. <laughs> and then for our civilian friends, right? Uh, just know that your safety is our utmost concern when it comes to these planes, because that's not only you flying it, that's our names attached to it as you're flying it. So we're never going to put something in the air that we don't feel comfortable riding in ourselves. And just know the duct tape thing. It's totally not duct tape, but it's 100% fine. <laughs> it's totally cool. Don't worry about it. You'll know when something is bad, when the mechanic has to step foot in the plane and and you see him pacing up and down to fix something. That's when you know, like, oh shit, something bad's happening. <laughs> right. And again, like, even just because it's fixed doesn't mean the pilot is going to be okay with flying it that way. That's just the way it is. But hey, let us yep. know what you let us know what you guys all think. Like, uh, is there something else that we didn't uh, touch on with MEL or any of the other deviations that we talked about? Has there ever been some kind of situations where you had to make a tough call with an MEL item? Or someone tried to push the button on you to make it okay when it's totally not. <laughs> Let us know in the comments. Let us know on our social medias, our emails, our website, whichever is the easiest for you to get a hold of us. The absolute best way to have conversation with us is through our Discord via our Patreon. We have all sorts of conversations just like this and a lot of mind-challenging events that would make us wonder how the hell this would actually work. And, but those are the best ways to get in touch with us and interact with us. And on that note, hey, we thank you all again for listening, and we'll see you all again on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. We would like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Eric Shaw, Dan Schubert, Ryan Frushauer. Kyle Keir, Mike Sherwood, Caleb Stockhill, and Jennifer Brofer. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. If you like our show, please support us on Patreon. You'll receive awesome perks like access to our private Discord, discounts and early access to our merch, first glimpse of our comics and other projects, and so much more. You can further support us and show off your prowess as an aircraft specialist by visiting our shop at cancelformaintenance.com. If you like classy or rugged watches, visit our affiliate Rockwell Time at rockwelltime.com. Use the code CX, the number 4MX, to save 10% off your total order. If you have suggestions for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a line on our contact us section at cancelformainness.com and we'll do what we can to get both your ideas and yourself on the show. Please support us on social media like Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance. Instagram at C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast or Twitter at C-X-M-X Podcast. Please check out our new comic series on the Tapas app. Like, share, subscribe, and comment on our comics. Let us know what you think. Thank you all so much for your support and listenership, and we will catch you all next time.